0: this is what light looks like this is what darkness looks like and he's saying okay you can put away this darkness you don't have to walk in this you don't need to have this darkness over your eyes I'm now going to show you I'm going to open this door and I'm going to sh- take that blinders off and say here's what the truth is you can put on the new man Ephesians 4 we're going to start at verse um, 17 actually but you know, this, this whole section of scripture is really Paul contrasting the old and the new. He's, or should I say it this way, if, if I'm, if I'm going to parallel it off of what we talked about last week, he's going to say, he's saying, he's contrasting before unity and after unity. Or should I say it this way, maybe it's before Christ and After Christ, really, what he's, what Paul is doing through this whole series, this whole part of Scripture, is he's talking about the the contrast between the old man and the new man. Right. We're gonna dig into this a little bit and kind of do some rooting around in here, and um, God wants to highlight some stuff in this text. But you know that verses one through sixteen, as I talked about last week, is all about unity and maintaining unity. You know, and. I can just tell you that it's the utmost importance. Yes. We it's something that we need to keep, it's something that we diligently need to strive after. We we cannot let our guard down in that area. Again, I need to reference this, but it's our call to maintain it. The Holy Spirit brings it. We just need to maintain it. So we're gonna pick up in chapter four of Ephesians verse seventeen. And Paul writes, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. You know, this scripture is kind of I don't. I don't like even reading it because it kind of just gives you that ill taste in your mouth. It's like, man, this is this isn't very good. This isn't very godly. But Paul is, is what he like. I said he's trying to contrast something. He's trying to show us a picture. This really is a picture of the unregenerated man. It's the one that isn't walking with God. It is was one that doesn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know the the references to the Gentiles, um, and that, a lot of times in Scripture they reference that to the people that don't know God. They actually don't even some of them, a lot of them didn't even believe in any God. They would what you would call atheists, or they have these God, gods that were very contrary to anything holy. Um, but in verse 17, he says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that they should no longer walk in the rest of the Gentiles, walk in the futility of their mind. I want to look at that word, that little phrase, futility of their mind, because I think it's important that we understand. What Paul is talking about here, because I've heard this misused. I guess Um, futility really has this idea of emptiness. The King James uses the word vanity. And you know, when we when we were back in Ephesians four, the very first part of it, Paul implores us to walk worthy of our calling. We we talked all about that. Walk worthy of our calling because it's worthy. And here he's saying this. You know what? They're walking in the emptiness of their mind. Right? It's, it's that it, it, I don't want to paint a picture that you think there's nothing in there, but everything that's in there brings you to this place of nothing. Right. Everybody has thoughts, everybody has things in their mind, but everything that's in their mind, this futility, what they're really trying to get at, is it brings you to nothing. It brings you to death. It doesn't bring life, it doesn't bring peace, it doesn't bring joy, it doesn't bring any of the fruits of the Spirit, anything that God has for us, it brings us into nothingness. Verse 18 says, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorances that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Right? We're talking about the unregenerated man, I'm not painting a picture of anybody here that I know, um, I do know some people that are like this, but I'm not going to mention names <laughs> because God is bigger than that. God can change that and he will change that. We have to believe that we have to stand on that promise, you know, that God's will is for all men to come to repentance and women and children and old people, whatever you every human being comes the repentance of the knowledge of the Son of God. That's His will. And you know, when, when God has a, a will, He'll do anything to get it accomplished. Anything. As long as it fits in with His word and it's not <laughs> contrary to His character. Um, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Man, you know, I know... I know, I know God. I have experienced God. I've had lots of encounters with God. I could not imagine being alienated from the life of God. That thought right there makes me want to preach the gospel to everyone. It makes me want to, I'll share a story this morning when I was at another church and I actually preached this morning at Bethel and um, I played the song, we played it here, oh gosh, three, four months ago about who is going to tell them that Jesus loves them, right? You know, that Scripture, right there, makes me want to preach the gospel to everybody. Because I don't want anybody to live in that, in that state, alienated from the life of God. But we notice it's because of the ignorance. Ignorance is really a lack of knowledge. It's because the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I want to go to a story that talks a little bit about this. Go to John 12, verse 35. I'll give you a second to figure out got a Bible. Go ahead and go to John 12. We're going to start at verse 35. I want to show you through this story that I've heard contra- contradictions to some scripture um, about darkness, right? But John 12, verse 35, let's go ahead and just read it and then I'll expound on it a little bit. It says, and then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have light, lest dar- darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. I don't know, has anybody ever been to a place that's totally, absolutely dark and has no light in it? It's freaky. Right? I, I mean, I, I go, you can go outside in the middle of the, some, you know, in the, any time of the seasons, and there's at least a star or something, but I've been in places where there's absolutely no light. Man, I'll tell you what, it's hard to find where you're going. <laughs> But in verse 36, he says, While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they're talking about the Pharisees here, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, this is what Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right? The reason they didn't believe the report about the Messiah, about the light, is because their eyes were blinded. They were darkened. We'll, we'll, we'll catch that in just, a, just another verse or two. In verse 39, it says, Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. You know, I've had people tell me that God is the one that blinded my eyes and hardened my heart. But let, let me, let's think about this scripture the way it's written here. It says, lest they turn, they should understand, I'm sorry, with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. If God is the one that blinded them, why would he want to heal them? Right? It doesn't make no sense to me. Not even a little bit, right? But scripture shows us a little bit different picture of this. When they're talking about he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, who are they talking about? Go to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 through 6. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, this is Paul writing, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. And you know, when you read the scripture, it's little g, the god of this age has blinded who did not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of christ whose is the image of god should shine on them right god is light god is not darkness it's satan satan is the one who's causing spiritual blindness he's the he they're referring to in that scripture And it's because of that, it's because of that spiritual blindness because Satan has put up a wall that we can't see through or a blinders on or a veil they use in this scripture. It's because of this blindness we're ignorant and we don't see, we don't understand. It actually, and then that, that ignorance, that, under, that blindness causes us to be alienated from God. It's not because God's not there, it's because we can't see him because we're believing something that's not truth. We're believing a lie. And then all those things that we read about, um, being alienated from God, all that stuff, and that we're going to look at just briefly, all those things happen because we don't see God. He continues on in verse five, Second Corinthians 4, verse 5, he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus sake for it is the god for it is god who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ we see you know god is the one that commanded the light to shine he says in the beginning let there be light Isaiah 9:2 says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them the light has shone. This is a prophecy about Jesus. It's it's in the same context of where we get, we all hear this at Christmas time unto us a child is born in a, in Isaiah 9, right? They're talking about Jesus the people who have walked in darkness, those that the God of this earth have blinded have now seen the light. It's up to us to preach the light, the good news of the gospel. John 8, 12 says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen. Yeah. Hallelujah. Right? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Remember, we're contrasting this old man, new man thing. We're, we're going back and forth here. Um, what, I, what I find interesting about this is that light brings life. It says, but you have the light of life. Um, has anybody ever tried to grow anything in total darkness? A plant, you ever plant put a plant and put it in total darkness? I guess I personally haven't, but I know it doesn't grow. They, they have to have light to grow. Things have to have light. I can get into the, all the technical jargon about science and photosynthesis and how the leaves do this and that and nutrients here and there, but you, get, you, you understand my picture. It, the light is what grows things. It brings life. Jesus is that light. Jesus is the light that brings life. Back to Ephesians 4. We're back in verse 18. It says, Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. I want to look at this understanding a little bit because I think it's important. Um, you know, understanding is really part, is a critical part of our makeup. We need to understand things Um Actually, I, th- I really think that God wants us to understand. He wants us to know. He wants us to have knowledge and understanding. Wisdom, if you want to go there. Um, but a big part of this understanding is having our minds renewed. Mm-hmm. We need to change the way we think. We need to move from darkness to light. We need to walk down the path of, that is lit, illuminated, um, I've wrote something here and it's not making sense to me. Sorry, I got to back up. <laughs> Sorry. All right. We understand because he said he said, not because of what we think. Right. Our understanding comes from our recon- recognition of God's voice and that God is speaking it. God is truth and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Our understanding comes from that s- that stage, not from what we. Have experienced, although experience is never a bad thing, um, because we can use it either way. But what does the word say? What is God telling us? You know. I found this interesting. Um, on Wednesday nights, I was teaching Bible study, and it was a, um, actually leading a Bible study. It was about the Book of Job, and how they went through the whole Book of Job. But there's this one guy, um, Ellie. I'm not going to say his name right. It starts with an E and ends with a H. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> I can't pronounce his name, sorry. El- L. El- Hehuya, I think is what it is. But um, he said this in Job 32, verse 8. He says, But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Right? See, our understanding of how things work comes from. The breath of the Almighty from the Holy Spirit; yeah. it comes from God. Yeah. Then he goes on in verse nine. I love this; this made me giggle. It says, "Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice." Right? How many people that we do we personally know that think they're great and they really are not very smart or very wise? <laughs> There's a lot of them. I could. I could just go to Washington, D.C. and find those. A... <laughs> I'll stay away from that. But actually, you know what? I don't even have to go that far. The Capitol building is only right down the road. So <laughs> um, some of the decisions they made this week, we will just leave it at that. I'm not going to get into politics. But um, actually, I wonder sometimes if they're worse than the ones in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll pray for them. We'll keep them on our prayers for sure. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring us understanding. One of the reasons that our um, understanding is darkened is talked about in the book of James, in James 3. James 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Where there are self-seeking, where, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. You know, when you, when you when there's envy and self-seeking, confusion comes there. Darkness is there. When you. Boast and lie against the truth, darkness comes in when you don't, when you have sensual wisdom what is it? I want to make sure I read it right. This wisdom does not ascend from above but is earthly sensual, demonic right that that, that type of worldly wisdom comes from worldly systems from. I'm not going to go back to the government. We'll just leave them out of it. <laughs> I'm on a kick today to take them down. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I got to behave. No, because who's going to tell them that Jesus loves them? Right? We can, we can talk bad about and not agree with their policies and procedures and not agree with the things that they're doing because it is earthly, demonic, right? But who's going to tell them that Jesus loves them? We are. You're <laughs> absolutely right. We are. I am. Exactly. But it, you see this switch here. He says in verse 17, James 3 verse 17, But the wisdom that is from above... Is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, y- willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. For the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Right, we can we can look at the things that cause us to walk in light. The wisdom of God, the understanding, and we can now we see the things that cause us to walk in darkness, right? And the reason we walk in darkness is because we're believing a lie. We're blinded to the truth. We're going to go back to verse to Ephesians four. Um, Paul makes this radical statement. He says, "But you have not so learned Christ." He's saying all that stuff that we just talked about, walking in darkness, doing these things, having right, all that stuff that we just talked about, you didn't learn that. You learned Christ. You've been taught something different. You've had Christ in your life, your Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, You have not, we we now know Christ. We've learned him. He goes on in 21 to say, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as Jesus as truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. This whole concept of putting off, you know, Paul's giving us again this discord. Okay, now you know the difference between light and dark. You see, I've showed you what, this understanding that this is what light looks like, this is what darkness looks like. And he's saying, okay, you can put away this darkness. You don't have to walk in this. You don't need to have this darkness over your eyes. I'm now going to show you, I'm going to open this door, and I'm going to take that blinders off and say, here's what the truth is. You can walk, as we'll find out later, I'm going to get ahead of myself, you can put on the new man. He says, put off former concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts. You know, this whole put off and take off, you know, as we, we will read later, put on, put off. It has this whole idea of actually changing your clothes, taking the clothing off and getting rid of it. Paul is really saying, you know what? Those people who walk in the light have different clothes on than those that walk in the darkness. They've taken those clothes and taken them off. He says, you can take these off and put on a white robe instead of a stained, dirty garment. You can upgrade, right? Um, because you're no longer blinded by the God of this world. Satan no longer has a hold because you heard the truth. You can walk in holiness and truth. It's really interesting that um, this whole idea of putting on clothing and taking off clothing is an external thing. Guy kind of showed me this picture. It's, it's what you do on the outside, It's how you act. It's how you behave, if you want to call it that, right? I don't want to diminish it because the real change comes on the inside, but you can start by changing your clothes, right? You can start by fixing the appearance, and then that'll lead you into this place where the inward stuff starts to change because you're not walking in that darkness no more. You're walking in the light. That light is on you. You're clothed in it. Verse 23, and he says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, we were, we were just talking about the external, putting on new clothes, and Paul moves us right into this next place. He says, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Right? So we have the spirit on this side, and we have the mind, which is part of our, or the, part of our uh, soul. Mm-hmm. He's including all three parts in this here. He says, you can put that stuff off. We renew our mind by reading the word being in the word, hearing the word preached. You know, Some people can't read, they just need to hear. Um, there's a gal that I minister to many times. She's very elderly and just a sweet old lady and she has a, this hardest time because she can't read, she can't see. She's got um, glaucoma and she's not able to read the Bible anymore. And I just ensure every time I says, you know the word of God. Every time you talk, it comes out your mouth. Right? That you put on, the, okay. Where I'm, um, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I've I mentioned this early, but Romans 12, 1 and two says, um, I'm drawing a blank. All right, I'm just going to go there because I can't quote it. Maybe I'm supposed to read it then. <laughs> I could. I preached eight series, an eight series part on that verse, and for whatever reason, I can't remember it. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not be deceived by what the world teaches us but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, That word transformed is really the word metamorphosis, and it is actually a picture of what happens to a butterfly, or a, a caterpillar when it changes into a butterfly. Paul tells us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. He really is what he's saying. He's saying, okay, he's saying the same thing that Jesus said. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is what Paul's telling us the same thing. The change, the renewing of our mind really is repentance. It's turning from darkness and going, nope, I'm going to the light. It means to turn about face, the word repent. But it happens in here. Because we're commanded to have our mind renewed. Our spirit's been regenerated already. We don't need to worry about that part. We need to keep that part. But it's the renewing of our mind because that mind is going, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit, flesh, sometimes flesh. and then you, you, get, you know, that mind keeps us focused. and Keeps us on track. Sometimes it gets me way off track. But... Um, be renewed in the spirit of our mind clothe yourself with light you know if you want to meditate on something meditate on the God's goodness don't medit- meditate on anything else don't meditate on Satan and what he's doing don't concentrate on that go you know what I remember that time that God that I had this revelation of how God, good God was it wasn't that God got, was good at that one point in time it's just that I haven't seen it to that magnitude it was my blindness that kept me from seeing how good God was right Because he's always good. And he's always doing something. We just put our little things like the horses so I can don't see what's beside me. You know? Blinders, yep. But Satan puts those on us. We we just read He's the one that's veiled us. We just need to renew our mind and say, no, I can see what God is doing. I can believe what God has said. I have the faith to move mountains. Not because of me, because of him. I have the patience to endure. I have the boldness to go where God tells me to go and do the things that God has told me to do. Verse 24, that you put, he goes, he says in verse 23, he says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true holiness, and true righteousness and holiness. You know? That you put on the new man, which was created according to God. Not according to man, but according to God. Peter says, I'm not going to go to the Bible verse, but he says, who am I going to believe, God or man? Who should I believe? And he tells him that. Of course, he says, I believe God, and then some bad things happen to him, but whatever. He says, I don't care what you think. I'm going to believe what God said. This is a you know again we're contrasting that walking in the darkness walking in light the new man the old man the, the okay I got to go back to the what I said in the beginning cuz I think this is important he says before unity with god and the body of christ or after unity with god and the body of christ right so we think differently when we're not unified as the body of Christ and with God, we think differently than we do if we are in unity with the body of Christ. We need to maintain that. I keep. We need to pursue that. We need to keep that. Now I've got to find out where I left off that. <laughs> that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Um. I talked to us a little bit about this, this contrast put on, put off, you know, get rid of this, put on, you know, take off these clothes, put on these clothes, right? Um, I read this little commentary and I really thought it was cool. But he, this guy writes, he says, Think of a prisoner who is released from prison but still wears his prison clothes and acts like a prisoner and not like a free man. The first thing to tell that person is that they should put on some new clothes. I really thought that was awesome. I want to give him, I think it was David Gusick that wrote that. Um, I just, it was, I had to share it. Even as putting on different clothes will change the way you think about yourself and see yourself, even so putting on a different conduct will start to change your attitudes. Okay, I'm going to pick on the ladies a little bit because I, I really don't, but... When you get all spiffed up and all dressed up and you got your wedding gown on or your bridesmaid gown on, you have a whole different look upon yourself and a whole different feel about who you are than when you're wearing your pajamas at home and you're sorry about this. I'm sorry, I had to go there. But, think, but just think about that. When you dress the outside, when you put on the, the, the clothing, that light, you, you have a different confidence about who you are and what you can do and what you're supposed to do and what you're called to do, Right? It's important that we put on the right kind of clothes. I'm not saying, I'm not against pajamas, don't. But you understand where my... It can start, at it... So even so, putting on a different conduct will change, start to change your attitude. This means that we shouldn't wait to feel like the new man before we put on the old man. Right? Don't wait till your the inside's all fixed. You can put that new clothes on right now and say, okay, now I'm going to start walking in that. And then that 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 presence of walking in that light will lead you to that place that where you actually start to feel that way and you start to act that way. As a result of putting on this, the new man, putting on these new clothes, Paul breaks into this discourse about what that should now look like. In verse 25 through 32, he says, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were saved for the day of redemption let all bitterness wrath anger clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you i know that was a mouthful but um he says therefore put away lying you know the new man he's t- we're contrasting new man old man the new man tells the truth the motive for doing this is because we're members of one another right? There is no place, therefore there is no place for lying. A body can only function proper, properly if it tells itself the truth. Think about, I'm to put a picture on you. If you put your hand on the oven and your mind's going, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, or on the burner, the stove burner, I said the oven, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt, that doesn't hurt. That doesn't hurt. What's happening? Your hand's getting damaged. There's some, there's some things going on here because the body's not communicating truth to each other. It's going to get severely burned. Mm-hmm. It's important that we tell the truth because we're members of one another and our body needs... I'm, I'm talking about you know, making this representation about the body of Christ to my physical body, but it's applicable. He says, be angry and don't sin. There's a lot of controversy in this scripture and I've heard it preached in a hundred different ways and everybody can talk about it in a different way, but... Um, Here's what I'll tell you. The new man can get angry but he has to be careful what he's angry about. But he doesn't sin in it. The new man knows how to let go of wrath, thus giving giving no opportunity for the devil. We can be angry at Satan all we want, and we should be. You know what? Get out of here. You have no place in my house. You have no place in my family. You have no place in my work. You have no place in my church. You get out of here. You know? Because the Satan's work, Satan's job is to accuse and divide the family of God yeah. and to sow discord among them. When we harbor anger in our heart, we do the, we do the devil's work for him. <laughs> I had a hard time saying that. but right. If we're going to be angry at somebody because they wronged us, we're actually playing hands. We're actually dealing that full house to the devil saying, okay, here's the cards, you win. Right? We can't do that. John 8.44 says, You are of the father, your devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and a father of it. Right? Um, I heard a man tell me one day, you guys probably all know him but I won't tell you who it was, um, say to me that I can help anybody that'll tell me the truth. And, and by that, I, I understood what they, they meant by that. Um, being I can help anybody. We as the body of Christ right. can help anybody through Jesus that tells us the truth of what's going on. right? If you're struggling with this and you hide it and you don't tell the truth about it, we have no power against that. right? If we know the truth, we can tell you the truth and the truth will set you free right? Don't be ashamed of things. We need to talk about it. The Scripture says um, if anyone has committed sin, confess it to one another that we might be healed, that they might be healed, right? We don't want to lie. And I I know you guys know this. I'm just kind of beating a dead horse. But um, let him who stole steal no longer. The new man does not steal, but he works with his hands. He does not give he does this to provide for his own needs but also to have something else to give you know I, I i love that um teaching and cares about giving and sowing and reaping you know we i've learned so much about that whole thing the reason god has given us gifts and god has given us the ability to work is so that we can give to others and then in turn he just gives back to us you know that's the biblical principle behind that john 10:10 10, 10 says the thief comes to kill steal and destroy right but Paul says, "Let him labor." This idea that we should work alongside each other so that we can give—right? We give because God first gave. He says, "And let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth." The new man shows us how. To, the new man knows how to watch his tongue, speaking only that what is good for necessary edification. And then he goes on to say, desiring to impart grace to all all who hear him. You know, when you edify, when you lift somebody up, you're actually imparting grace to them. Speaking only what is good. And it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The new man will not grieve the Holy Spirit knowing that he is both our seal in the sense of identification and protection. I like that. I've heard lots of different things about grieving the Holy Spirit, but um, not quite the way that this is written. This was a another little part of a commentary I took. He says there are many ways to grieve the Holy Spirit. We 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 t- we've heard it preached as the unpardonable sin, and I you know I'm not going to go down that. But we can neglect holiness and grieve the Holy Spirit. We can, we, it, but think about what it means to grieve somebody. It gives them a sorrow. It's a sorrow in their in their heart, I guess. If you want to go there, um, we can think in purely materialistic terms and grieve the Holy Spirit. If all of everything we do is all focused on the flesh and not about this, what's going on in the spirit, I think it actually gives the Holy Spirit grief. It makes him sorrowful. The Holy Spirit's grief is not a petty. Is not of a petty offensive nature. He is grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, for he knows what m- misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sin. He grieves over us because he sees how much chastisement we incur and how much communion we lose. That was Charles Spurgeon that wrote that. Right? The reason that the Holy Spirit is grieved when things are not right is because he realizes that, that takes away from our communion with God. It's not because he's mad at us and angry at us. It's because he's like, oh I wish I wish there'd be more. There can be more. I know there's more. It's because the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus all see the greatest potential in us when we have full communion in- with Him. And when we miss that a little bit, when we miss the mark of that full communion, those that walk in the Spirit will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. When we miss that a little bit, which is what the de- de- definition of sin is, it grieves the God a little bit. But He's not disappointed because He knows He can get us back on track. He says, "Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you." Um, it's really, it's kind of when you when you break this out and look at it, it's really kind of saying, you know what? The new man has control of his emotions. He doesn't let wrath. Wrath is a is a. It's not a just an anger. It's more of like a rage, and it's usually triggered. Almost instantly, there's no thought behind it. There's, it's just, mm, and you're instantly on, um, you're instantly anger, I guess. You, but here's the here's the thing. I think every one of us has went through those stages in our life where it's like, man, oh, the new man recognizes that. And he's easily able to deal with it. I knew I wrote that in. Wrath speaks of an outburst of the moment. Anger speaks of settled disposition. Both must be put away. Then he goes on, he says, okay, so we just disseminated all these things about the old man. This is what we need to put off. We need to not do these things because we are now... In the light, not in the darkness. Our uh, the blindness has been now revealed because we have I because God has shown you this. He says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another." The new man seeks to show this same kindness, tender heartedness, and forgiveness to others that God shows him. Right. The reason we are kind and tender-hearted to each other is because that's how God is towards us. He said, just as God in Christ forgave you, I'm going to end with this kind of last little discourse here, but our forgiveness to others is patterned after the forgiveness of Jesus towards us. When we think of the amazing way God forgives us, it is shameful for us to withhold forgiveness from those who have wronged us, right? You want to walk in unity? You want to see the before unity, the after unity? You want to walk in freedom, not walk in darkness? You want to walk in light? The simple answer is to forgive. Here's some bullet points that I wrote down. God holds back his anger a long time until he forgives. He bears with us for a long time, though we sorely provoke him. This one kind of got me. God reaches out to bad people to woo them to himself and attempts reconciliation even with bad people. God always makes the first move in forgiveness trying to reconcile even even though the guilty party is uninterested in forgiveness. God forgives our sins knowing that we will sin again often in the exact same way. And I hope that's not always true, but we're always growing in that area. God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that He grants adoption to those former offenders. You know, I, I think as somebody that, in my life, that I've wronged, I'm not. I don't have an ex, a perfect example of this, but I just think about. You know, there's people in my life that I've wronged, or that have wronged me, in ways that were very, very hurtful. But God says, you know what? You hurt me, but. St- I want you to be my son. Come on, come on, come on over here. And in that process of being a son, we now have an inheritance in him. I had this revelation, I was reading some scripture this, work, this week, um, I talked about, or I was reading about inheritance and I was talking about it and I read something somewhere and it says dead people don't get an inheritance. Right, so here, here here's twofold of this, Right, if we're dead to God, there's no inheritance. But the other part of this is a lot of people preach inheritance as for the end when you go to heaven, right? Our inheritance is in heaven, right? But what's wrong with that picture? Well, when you don't receive an inheritance when you die, you receive an inheritance when someone else dies for you. I had I, that, that revelation to me this week was like. Oh, I get it now. You know, it, Jesus died for us, therefore, that inheritance is for now. Because he forgave us, because God forgave us in Christ. I like this. God requires no probationary period to receive his forgiveness. You know, I'm letting you out of prison, but you gotta live in probation. You, you gotta you gotta do this and this and this and this and make sure you call here. And I, I know this because my cousin of mine was um, able was gonna come and live with us for a while when he got released from prison. And I said, You might as well stay in prison. The requirements of you living with me is worse than if you were just where you are. And I, I don't wanna say that prison's a good place. It probably was better. But when I think about what had to happen, it was like, I don't know if we can do it. And then you're just going to end up right back where you were in a worse state because you didn't follow through the probation. God doesn't do that. He says, no, it's all over, taken care of. John Mole, not John Mo, John Mole wrote this. He says, it isn't that we must forgive so that Jesus will forgive us. We forgive because he has forgiven us. It is a historical fact of Christ once for all putting away sin by the sacrifice of himself, which he alluded to.